Amen. Are you thankful for the cross this morning? That uh, Terry's song and uh, this last kind of medley of songs went perfectly together. And just this idea of reminding ourselves uh, that the cross is not just something we wear on a chain around our neck. It's not just something we see in, in pictures uh, depicted before us. Uh, it is the way uh, that we have found forgiveness of sins. It is the payment uh, that we, without Christ, would have to suffer for ourselves. And it is by his death, his burial, and his resurrection that we are given, granted by his grace, eternal life. And we can see him for eternity in his heaven because of his cross, his death, and his resurrection. Amen. And so I pray that the cross is not something we just think about around Easter and Good Friday, but it's something that permeates every moment of our Christian life, that we would realize it is the foundation of our faith. And we've said this before, but every other religion in the world works on what you can do for God. Every other major religion works on how good can you be, how many good works can you do, so that you can come back or be reincarnated or finally find peace by the works you do and just keep getting better and better. Only in Christianity, it is only in Christ's love for the world that he came and offered us his work of the cross, the finished work. And by trusting in that, we find eternal life, not in what we do for him, but in what he does for us. And so I am so thankful this morning, and I pray you are as well, for the cross of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, we're going to get into the book of Romans a little bit this morning as we continue on our series called Culture Wars. And we've been talking now for a few weeks. Last week we took a break uh, from this series and we heard from Andy Briggs and I thought it was amazing. About halfway through his message last week, Sandra leaned over and said, wow, this is fitting really, really well into what we've been talking about as far as the Culture Wars series. Um, I'm also noticing our men's Bible study uh, is really, which I've never done before, which is really influencing a lot right now uh, of, of thinking in our men's group and some things that people are saying. Man, it's just so cool how God is kind of orchestrating all this together to kind of bring some similar ideas, some similar thoughts together. And so as we move through this series this morning, I pray that you would continue to open up your heart and your mind to the Lord and say, Lord, what is it you have for me today? What do you want to speak to me about today? Because I think if you've come this morning just to sit there and just to kind of take up space, God's going to allow you to do that. Like, and that's the crazy thing about our God is that you can predetermine before you walk in the doors, I don't care what that guy says. I don't care what the songs talk about. I'm going to go, I'm going to sit there, and I'm not going to hear a word of it. I'm not going to let it affect me at all. And if you walked in this morning, and maybe you told nobody that was your, your thoughts, obviously, because we don't usually broadcast those things. But if you came in with that kind of a mindset, you know, I'm just going to sit here. I'm, I'm pretty good. I've got it all kind of figured out. Then I'm telling you, God will allow you the grace to do that. And he will actually allow you to leave the same way you came in. But that's not what he wants for you. And God has a message for you, because I believe God has a message for all of us. When I preach messages like this, just so you know, every message I preach, it's something the Lord has already been either speaking to me on or encouraging me with, or let me use the word challenging or convicting me about. And so when I share these messages, I don't stand before you as a guy that's got it all figured out. I mean, I'm better than some of you, but not all of you. I mean, if you're really being honest, I'm kidding, of course. I'm only better than a select few. No. But when I share these words with you this morning, it's not like, hey, I've got all this figured out. You guys need to be like me. Man, I love what the Word of God says. We need to be striving to be like Christ. And here's a challenge for you this morning. And I, 
I wasn't even thinking through the application of this, but until just now, it kind of just hit me that we're going to talk about some things this morning, and we all just said how much we are rejoicing in the cross, how thankful we are for the cross of Christ, because it showed his love for his church. And if that's true, then are we that are the saved, the redeemed, are we willing, as Luke 9 talks about, to lay down our lives, to take up our cross, and follow him? Are we willing to do what we all just said we're so thankful to him for doing for us? Are we willing to do that for him? Just because he loves us that much, because he died for us on a cross, because he rose again from the grave, are we willing to make that choice as well? As we are continuing our series called Culture Wars, we talked about it before that, man, the world around us is, is crazy. And there's some very just out of this mind kind of stuff going on around us. But we learned that in understanding the culture and understanding the world around us, we also realized there's a lot of good in our culture as well. There's a lot of good people doing a lot of good things. And it's okay to encourage them and, and honor that. We also need to realize that we need to engage our culture. we got to get involved in the world around us. And we can get involved in the world without being of the world. We cannot isolate or abandon the world around us. We must engage the world around us with the truth of God's word, his gospel. Today we're going to be tackling the issue of what aspects of our culture do we reject and which parts do we accept. It's great to say, go out and encourage you to, to go engage your world. And the most common question we're going to ask is, well, what parts do I engage? What parts do I abandon? Do I go to that movie? Do I watch that show? Do I listen to this? Like, is that okay? Is this okay? Like, we want, listen, human nature is, tell us what to do. Like, we, we declare as Americans, we're so individualistic, but we really like to be told what to do. That's why churches that tell you, here's your 10 don'ts and here's your 10 do's, that's why those churches grow, because we like that. That's safe and comfortable. As long as I do the 10 things I'm supposed to do and don't do the 10 things I'm not supposed to do, I'm good. And we can breathe. That's not really biblical Christianity. Now, there are some black and white things that God's word says clearly don't do. But most of the Christian life is this conceptual idea of I have to think through these situations. I have to weigh out pros and cons, God's word versus the cultural norm, and say, what is God's spirit leading me in this moment to do? It's not always going to be this clear cut. Listen, if you're waiting around going, should I murder my neighbor or should I not murder my neighbor? I just, man, I just don't. I, just, I want to engage the culture. I'm just not sure. Is that appropriate? That's not a tough question to ask. Now, some of you have some neighbors that you're like, you don't know my neighbor. It's kind of tough. That's not what we're talking about. Those are clear-cut things. And we're going to talk about, we're going to give you some actual examples, not exhaustive, but some things that are cultural norms and then the biblical norm. Then we're going to give you some church cultural norms and then the biblical norm. And you would think, well, wait, shouldn't those be synonymous. Shouldn't those be one and the same? They should be, but they're not. So we're going to walk through this today and try to tackle this idea. Again, I'm not here to give you a list of things to do and not do, but I think in the Word of God and through common sense given by the Holy Spirit, we can see some pretty clear-cut things of how we should live our lives as far as our motivations, our mindsets, and our attitudes. Because the question isn't just, what do I not get involved with? What parts of my culture do I reject? It's once we understand those parts, are parts to disregard, what do we replace them with? 
What do I do in place of those things? Or how do I live in a way that still honors God, being in the world, but not of it? You see, there are norms in every single culture. But we as followers of Christ must be highly discerning which of these norms we accept and practice and which we reject. We must live counter culture as followers of Christ. In regards to this culture today, understanding Romans chapter 1, how crazy the world is around us, we are actually living counterculture to many things that our world says are normal. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. It says this very popular passage, and I I wanted to go here because I think this is something we all can understand. We can kind of see a root here of our mindset. The Apostle Paul says in a chapter dealing with Christian conduct to the church, he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be not conformed. The word conformed there means to be molded to. It's as though there's the cultural norm of everything the world says is okay, and we pour our lives into that mold, and the outcome is we look just like the world around us. And this is not talking about necessarily a person or people in the world or even music or things of that nature. It's talking about the mindset. Do you know how we know that? Look what it says. The battle of conformity into the world is not in our actions but in our mind. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your actions, right? Of your behavior. No, of your mind. You know why? Because every action starts with a thought. In our men's Bible study, we've broken it down a little farther than that. Every thought starts with a desire. And it's so amazing when we let God begin to transform our desires, and then he transforms our mind, and guess what happens as a result? Our actions are changed. And we begin to live in a way, as Paul says here, to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so I want to ask you this morning, what mold are you pouring your life into? Are you pouring it into the world's way of thinking and and acting and their system of living? Or are you pouring it into the Holy Spirit, to the image of Christ and saying, make me like Jesus. Make me like Christ. That my actions would reflect the mind of Christ that I have through salvation. And so I want to pray this morning, and I want to pray just, just real practically that you would just pray where you are, and that you would just ask God to speak to you in this regard, that how is God going to challenge you, challenge all of us, to live counter-culture in a world that needs the church to be the church? How can we individually live counter-culture and then be willing to sacrifice anything that goes against that mindset? to give up anything that would dare to raise itself against the supremacy of Christ in our lives. Basically, are you willing to pick up an instrument of death to follow Christ, or is that just too inconvenient for us? Is that just a little too uncomfortable for us? Does that make me a little bit like, I can't do what I want to do if I'm following to that extremity or that extreme? So how can you pray this morning, God, speak to me right where I am? Let's pray. Father, As we open up this message this morning, Lord, I pray that that your spirit would lead, guide, and direct. I pray that it wouldn't be my words, but your words that people hear today. And Father, I know that I'm going to speak from the viewpoint of those that already know Christ. I'm speaking as though somebody has already received Christ as their Lord and Savior. So for the remainder of the message, Lord, it's going to be kind of that angle, that, that perspective 
But Father, I'm not naive enough to think that everyone in this room knows you. I mean, that's my prayer. I pray that everyone here truly knows you. But Lord, maybe there's someone or someones that are sitting in this room right now that went to church. Maybe they were baptized as a child. Maybe they've read the Bible. Maybe they were told that because they come from a Christian home that they're a Christian. Maybe they were told that because they did a lot of good things as a, as a teenager and a child and now as an adult that they're going to go to heaven for their good works. Maybe they think that going to church is going to gain them salvation. Lord, I don't know where their mindset is. I don't know what they've been taught, but I do know what your word says. And your word declares boldly that without trusting personally in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, that we will not spend eternity with you in your heaven, but we will be separated from you in a place called hell in the second death. And I pray that anyone in this room right now that doesn't know you as their Savior would take just a moment and begin to allow you to speak into their heart. Father, we all know that we've sinned. We all know that we've done things that we're not proud of. We understand that. But Father, I pray we take it a step farther and know that you died, were buried, and rose again as a payment for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And it's by putting simple faith and trust in you, believing that you did all of that for us. We put our faith in you. We give you our lives. We surrender our lives. We repent of our sins and we turn from them, trusting in you for salvation. And so, Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, I pray they would come to know you before we leave this place today. But, Father, for the believer here today, I pray that you would speak to their heart, that we would, as a church and as followers of Christ, live for you in a way that would reflect your love for the world and your passion for them to come to know you. Father, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I find in Christianity there are, again, two ends of a spectrum. Either the Christian accepts none of the culture. This is where a Christian may say, we don't celebrate Christmas, we don't celebrate birthdays, we don't put up Christmas trees, uh, we don't go to sporting events, we don't do anything at all that is a cultural norm. We live separate, completely separate from the culture. Or we accept all of the cultural norms, and as a result, our lives are basically indistinguishable from the world around us. An example of the latter would be a Christian in an attempt to fit into the cultural norm, rejects the Bible's teaching on purity and guarding our eyes, and watches a movie that portrays nudity, fornication, and sin because the culture says it's accepted. An example of the first rejects everything, tries to live a life of extreme separation from whatever is accepted today with the belief that this makes them more godly than anyone else. In reality, both of these mindsets are damaging and potentially destructive to our spiritual well-being. Rather, Let's decide, as the Word of God gives us the ability to do so by the infilling of the Holy Spirit, let's decide that it is okay to admit there are some things that are okay in our culture, and there are things that are very much not okay. And yet other things are merely indifference. So it's a personal conviction. 1 Corinthians chapters 8, 9, and 10 outline those examples. But let me just say this, in an area where the Word of God clearly says this is not okay, this is not appropriate, we can't then go to a personal conviction and say, well, that's your conviction, not mine. Those conviction areas are areas where there is a mindset that as long as this is okay, then we can apply those things differently. 
I'll give you an example. I referenced a movie there, and I've said it many, many times, but I'm always amazed at how our culture makes something funny enough that we, be, we buy into it, we accept it, we expose our families to it, and we'll even pay $40, $50 to do it. It's, it's, it blows my mind how we read this book where it says, guard your eyes and, and guard the heart and purity, and then we'll take our family to see a movie that does nothing but portray impurity before us. But is it wrong to go to the movies because some movies are like that? Wouldn't it be more of a biblical stand to say, you know what? I feel that going to movies are okay, but we're going to use great discernment in the movies we watch. We're going to pray over this. We're going to research the movie. We're not going to walk in unprepared, especially if you're sending your children or your family or whatever into that movie. Now, some of you may say, you know what? I have a conviction. We don't even go to the movies great. That's fine. But that doesn't make you better than those that do. Rather than lording that over them, maybe you would encourage them with why you came to that decision. Have a conversation about it. That's just one example, but I see here these kind of ends of a spectrum. It's either all or nothing. I either look just like the world, or I want nothing to do with the world. And I've met people like this. You've seen people like this in our culture or in our community that, that seemingly want no exposure to the world around them. Other people that are just vastly immersed in the culture. And again, their lives morally and ethically are indistinguishable. And again, let me say again, we're not talking about dress outside of modesty. Our culture has very little regard for modesty right now. And I feel it's only going to get worse. I was talking with uh, Andy Briggs about somehow something came up about dress. And he said, man, in Latvia, if you walk in in the summer when it's warm out, if you walk around and people are covered up top, it's a good day. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. There's, what? It's Latvia. And he said, in Europe, it's very much different than here. And there's a lot more exposure that way. And he says, man, it's, you have to really guard your eyes and your mind. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Now, I'm not saying we're going to get there as a culture. I'm just saying we're not talking about wearing a suit 24-7 or wearing jeans. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're saying is, in regards of modesty, use wisdom especially to the young girls in here, to the women in here. Man, use wisdom in how you dress. But men, we're not off the hook just because someone wears something inappropriate. Man, you've got to guard your mind and your eyes. I told you guys a story before about a guy I knew at college that literally liked this girl so much, he wanted to go out with her so bad, and she blew him off all the time. And he ended up going to the dean of students, the dean of girl, women, I'm sorry, the dean of women, and said, you need to pull her in and talk to her. She's dressing inappropriately on campus and causing me to stumble. So what did the dean of women do? Called in this girl, a friend of mine, very strong-willed Italian woman. Let that sink in for a moment. Her and her husband, Scott, are actually ministering in Italy right now as missionaries. And uh, she didn't marry this guy. That's not, it's not Scott that was in the story. But this dean of women said, now what are you wearing that's causing these boys to stumble? She got up out of that chair and she said, come on, let's go to my closet. You find something that's inappropriate and I'll throw it away right now and I'll take the fine. Couldn't find one outfit that broke code, dress code. Listen, guys, we can't just throw that card out there where she was wearing that. What do you expect me to think? That's a bunch of garbage. I was going to use a different word there, but garbage is church appropriate. Seriously, this is in the church, guys. This is happening. And young girls, teenage girls are being under this pressure of be pure, be pure, be pure. And then if a guy tempts or is tempted by you, that's your fault too. 
What a joke. Man, it's, we have to both, men and women, look at this and say, am I doing and living and acting in a way that is modest? And to the men, am I guarding my eyes and my mind that if I do see something inappropriate, that it's up to me to look away, to avoid? Do you see, again, we can't just run from all of the culture and say it's all bad because the world says it's okay, but we can't say it's all good because the world says it's good. We can't live at either end of a spectrum. We have to walk the balanced Christian life, which means making tough decisions, not having it all spelled out for us black and white, but using discernment. I said Holy Spirit common sense. I really believe that's what we're talking about. Just allowing the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and guidance in these ways. So how in the world can I do that? Well, I have the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, but Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what it means? Every day I wake up and I say, God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit that I'd have the mind of Christ? What does Ephesians 6 talk about? Guard my mind with the helmet of salvation. Guard my heart with the breastplate of righteousness. These are the things we begin to pray about. And guess what? As you do those things, you're primed and ready for the day. So when that person goes in front of you that's dressed inappropriately, your mind is ready. When somebody says something in a conversation, your mind is ready to be prepared how to respond to that. Not in anger and hatred because they disagree with you, but in love and compassion, seeing them as sheep without a shepherd. And we engage the culture, but we're wise because we're meant to live counterculture. So how do we live counterculture? How do we not conform to this world? First and foremost, I believe it comes from understanding why we are here. This is a fundamental problem in the church and in my own life as well. Why are we even in the world? First and foremost, we are here for the will of the Father. You have been saved and redeemed by the blood of Christ for his glory, for his will, for his purpose. And when we realize that, Romans 12, 2, look what it says. What is that? You may prove what is that good and acceptable and a perfect will of God. Christ lived every moment to please the Father. And then he called disciples to follow him and to follow his lead. And their example set for us was one that we surrender to the will of the Father, living our lives for his glory. Second Peter 3.9 says this, God wishes that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. That's God's will for everyone. God's desire is that all would be saved, that all would put faith in Christ and repent. Now we know the truth is that there will be those that reject there will be those that deny Christ or deny his gospel. And it breaks my heart, as I know it breaks the Father's heart, to know that Christ died for them, and they just cold-heartedly say, I don't need that. They reject him, but there will be those that cry out to him, those that respond in faith, putting their faith and trust in Christ and find the forgiveness of sins and begin to live the abundant life to his glory. And when that happens, God rejoices. It says the angels in heaven rejoice. Thinking of angels, little plug, Kids Christmas musical tonight, 6 o'clock. Don't miss it. Uh, you're not going to want to miss the musical. It's called Angel Alert. Angels, Angel Alerts. You, got, you guys see where I went there? Okay, all right. Sometimes it's random rabbit trails. That one actually kind of went together. But I'm excited about that musical. But these angels that are in heaven right now, when somebody comes to Christ, are rejoicing. Why? Because the will of God is being accomplished. And so let me ask you a question. If it's God's desire that none would perish but all would come to repentance, how does that change your view of your life's purpose as a follower of that God, a follower of that Christ? 
If I really believe his will is that none would perish, then what should my day, my week, my life be consumed with when I say I follow him? That none would perish, but all would come to repentance. We don't quit when people say no and reject us. We just continue to press on to the glory of God. I want to point out there in 2 Peter 3, 9, it doesn't say that God wishes that none would perish, but all would accept him. It says that they would repent. I love that word repent there because that's what salvation really represents. It's not accepting Christ and I go and live how I want and do what I want. No, it's repenting from my sins and then believing that he can give me the strength to live separate lives from the world, sinless lives, not sinless in perfection, but begin to sin less. Man, I met so many Christians. You've met these individuals in my life that it's almost like their lives are indistinguishable and they throw the grace card out there. I'm saved by grace. Man, Romans 6.1 seems to kind of counteract that thinking. We don't sin that grace may abound. God forbid. See, we don't just get saved and keep our lives as they are, as we'll talk about in a little bit. We repent of our sin. We trust in Christ and we follow him. We are here for the will of the Father. Quick evaluation, just for you in your own heart. Are you living with the will of God as your focus? Now you might say again, which is amazing how this is kind of all coming together. You might say again, as we talked about in our men's Bible study last week, that you don't know the will of God for your life. I don't know about you, but I've asked that question before. God, what's your will? God, if you, and we go to him like this. If you would just show me your will for my life, I'll totally do it. Why do we say it that way? Because then we could say, well, I didn't do your will for my life, but you never showed me. Who's to blame there? God. But isn't it a little bit more biblical to say, no, God, you have shown me some key things that I should be living and doing in your word. And so may I obey the things that I see revealed in your word. And as I'm doing that, he'll reveal the specific areas at certain times that he wants you to live in. Direction he might give you. Will, if you want to say it that way, his will in that moment. I don't know the specific will for every person in this room as far as if you're supposed to be a missionary, a pastor, a teacher. I don't know. You're supposed to work your job for the next 30 years and just be a witness at your job. I don't know what your will, his will is for your life, but I do know there are things that he calls us to. And there's things like making disciples, praying, studying his word, living for Christ. These are things that are obviously for all of us that follow Christ. So while you are praying for his specific will in this world and how you fit, we can live out the obvious will for all believers. How do I live counterculture? I remember why I'm here. I focus on his will. But secondly, I realize that I am here for the edifying of the body of Christ. Go over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 16. We're going to read just a couple of verses and go over to the book of Ephesians in just a moment. So John chapter 15 and verse 16, as you're turning there. John chapter 15 and verse 16. It says here, Jesus speaking to his disciples. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. A lot of people argue, man, what's the fruit there that Jesus wants us to go and that will remain? We know for a fact it's based in love. 
and love for one another. Who is the one another here? Those that know Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying or building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So how do I speak? How do I edify the body of Christ? I do it with love. I realize my purpose as a follower of Christ, fulfilling the will of God for my life, is to edify the body of Christ. We are here as followers of Christ to serve the will of God, which is evident in our desire to build up and support his bride, his body, the church. Jesus said that we are commanded to love one another. And Paul says this is evident in our words to others around us. Jesus goes on to warn us as well in John 15 that as followers of Christ, while we are showing a love to one another, the world will hate us. Isn't that interesting? Why would the world hate us? Well, he goes on to tell us that it's the world system, the world way of thinking that hates us, and it is because we are following Christ and demonstrating his love and grace. It reminds them of their need for him, and men love darkness more than light. We are living counterculture, and the culture is rejecting that and hating us because as we display the love of Christ for them and the light of Christ for the world, the world rejects that. You see how he says, if you love one another, the world's going to hate you. That's a powerful reality. Part of living counterculture is living for his will, but also living for the edification of his church. In a song we sang just this morning, it says, we are your church and we are the hope for the world. Now, some of you might have read that and thought, wait a minute, I thought Christ was the hope for the world. Christ is the hope of the world. But how does the world understand or even receive the message of the gospel? It's through his church. And let me just say this. Some of you have fallen into the way of thinking that I don't really need the church. Nowhere in this book does it command me that I have to go to church to be saved. Therefore, why go to church? Why gather together with the body of Christ? Why come together in fellowship? I am promising you that if you want to make disciples, live the will of God for your life, walk in a, in a healthy Christian life, staying focused on the things of God with the right mind and the right focus, you need a community of faith, and that is the church. Is it commanded to go to be saved? No. It's absolutely your choice. But it's your choice to make disciples. It's your choice to study his word. And I'm promising you that we, and it's through the whole New Testament. I don't have time to go there. But I'm promising you that if you ignore the church and the influence of the church in your life, you will see your Christian life begin to wither. And that's just not my opinion. That's just not even the New Testament's teaching. That's practically evident in the lives of Christians today. And let me just say this, I'm so thankful for the exposure of so many great ministries through the internet and through TV, but watching someone on TV or watching someone on the internet is not meant to replace the coming together into a local defined body of Christ for edification, support, accountability. We need each other. And the will of God for our lives is to come together as the body of Christ so that we can be equipped. Ephesians 4 goes on to say that, so that we can go out and do the work of the ministry. And I'm promising you that when you do that, it is going to be so fruitful and so successful. And you might say, man, I've been to churches, and they can just be real jerks. Yeah, because not all people in the church are followers of Christ. 
And so their actions don't reflect Christ. They reflect the cultural norm, as we'll get to in a moment. One author said it this way in regards to why the world hates those that love one another in the name of Christ and follow Christ. One author said it this way, and I love this. He says, the offense of the cross is not ceased. The offense of the cross is not ceased, meaning the hatred for Christ that led them to crucify him was not satisfied with the cross, but was passed on to the persecution of his church, of his saints. You can jot it down for note's sake. Romans 8, 17 and Galatians 6, 17 show us this idea that the persecution didn't stop at the cross. So what do we do in the face of this great persecution? We continue to engage the culture. We continue to love one another. We continue to focus on the will for his life. And we just live counterculture. Not separated, but distinguishable from the world around us for his glory. We remember that no matter how great the hatred comes, we have the guarantee that Christ has overcome the world. You Go back to the book of Romans because the second thing we have to understand to live counterculture. And again, this is not exhaustive. Just some thoughts to think through. To, uh, to live counterculture, we have to understand why we are here. And why are we here? For the will of the Father to edify and grow the church. To build his church. And by the way, you might say, what about reaching the lost? What about all of that? How do we grow the church? How do we love the church? We do what the church was called to do, which means to make disciples to take it to all the nations. And as you are leading people to Christ and they're following in believers' baptism, where are they going to be connected to? The local church. And so we say love the church. We're saying we love what the church is here to accomplish and to perform. It's not that we just huddle in this building week in and week out, pretending the world around us is, is unreachable, which makes us feel really easy and comfortable because then we don't have to do anything. When we realize that the world is very hard to reach, but is reachable if they will receive Christ, then our mission becomes clear. We leave this place for the purpose of accomplishing his will, not in place of this place, coming to this place. But when we leave here, we know what our purpose is in the world. So we see, we live, we are created, we are, we are destined and saved for the purpose, the will of God. But secondly, to live counterculture, we see the culture with the mind of Christ. We see the culture around us with the mind of Christ. Romans 12, verse 9. Romans 12, verse 9. So we're getting back into this idea of love here. When you think about the love from John. Listen to what it says in verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Abandon, reject, abhor, run from that which is evil. And cleave to that which is good. What does that word cleave bring to your mind? Other areas in the word of God where that word cleave is mentioned. Specifically marriage in Genesis. It says a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his bride and they will be one flesh. You know what Paul's saying here? Just as much as we reject the evil in this world, man, we cleave, we hold on to, we're one with that which is good. And how do we know what is evil and what is good? In the world, we go through the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. See, here, look what it goes on to say in verse 10. How does that love play out from verse 9? Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. That means if somebody is honored and you don't get noticed, that's okay. 
It's okay. If somebody says, man, I really appreciate brother so-and-so doing blah, blah, blah in the church. And we always have blah, blah, blah to do. There's always something to do, and blah, blah, blah is pretty good. When they get acknowledged for that, you don't sit in your chair and go, man, I do way more than that person does. I'm, I'm at the church way more than they are. No, no, you prefer. Man, you're the front of the line. You're the one saying, I really appreciate you, and I'm so thankful the church appreciates you. And you might be thinking your flesh is screaming, no, 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 you should be acknowledged. You do a lot. And that's when you just quiet that, that voice of the Spirit and you say, you know what? God will reward those that need to be rewarded. It's not in my hands. It says prefer one another. And again, what's the context of chapter 12 of the entire book of Romans? It's written to a local church. This is written to the church. So this is all happening in the confines of a local church. Verse 11, not slothful in business. Basically, give your best effort. If you're being paid some, by someone, work as though you're being paid by someone. Do your best all the time. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Again, remembering, man, I'm fervently following after him. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. It doesn't say complaining in tribulation. It says patient in tribulation. Knowing that God has a purpose and a plan. Continuing instant in prayer. We pray without ceasing, he says later in another epistle. Distributing to the necessity of the saints given to hospitality. What does it mean? To distribute to those that are in need, the, the saints. It means if I have, I give. You need, I have, it's yours. I don't think about getting it back in return. I don't think about the, what I'm losing. I just give. Verse 14 goes on to say here, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. And weep with them that weep. Sounds like a beautiful picture of a family. Verse 16, be of the same mind, one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Stop thinking you're so smart. And humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and allow him to fill you with his wisdom. Recompense to no men evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. If for in so doing, thou shalt shall heap coals of fire on his head. What's that saying? Don't worry about getting back at him. Just be really nice to him. Verse 21. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. In those verses, what stands out to me is this is not our world today. This is not culturally normal to give no recompense, no revenge or vengeance for evil, to bless and curse not. Man, so many Christians are out there cursing so much they forgot what it is to bless someone. We're, we're protesting everything. We're boycotting everything. And meanwhile, we've saved no one. And we live in a way that's counterculture. Yes, we reject evil. We make our voice known. But we're driven by love. We see them. We engage the world seeing them as sheep with no shepherd. We don't go and beat people up for the cause of Christ. We show them the love and grace of Christ. And yes, there is a penalty and a payment for sin. And it needs to be included. But it's if we lead and stay only with the sin penalty, then you've convinced them that you're, they're sick, but you've never told them that there's a cure. When you read these verses, man, this is his church. 
This is what the church should look like. Nowhere in here does it say fighting over the color of the carpet. Arguing because the pastor went a little long. You might say, who would do that? It's happened. I've had somebody approach me years ago and say, I'm telling you what, if the Holy Spirit can't work in 30 minutes, I'm leaving. You laugh. That's a quote. And this person said, and if you're not done in 30 minutes, I think you need to be done in 30 minutes. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, in 30 minutes, you're welcome to leave. Not because I think I need to talk longer, but I'm telling you right now, man, if God is moving and God is leading and we're, we're enjoying his presence, I'm not going to put a time constraint on it and say, we got, God, you better work in 45 minutes. You better work one hour on Sunday morning because that's all I'm giving you. Man, look at his church. Is this the church today in America? Is this the church that we are? I mean, our church is blessed, but, but are we this church? Man, are we as North Goodland Baptist Church? Are we living this way, the body of Christ? And I can tell you as the pastor of this church that is so blessed to be here, I can tell and I can see in my own life, I need to work on some things by the Holy Spirit's grace and power. I mean, I need to be more hospitable. I need to be more patient in tribulation when things don't go my way. See, this is not culturally normal in the world. We see the church being encouraged to live differently than the world around them. Paul wrote these things not because everyone in the church was already doing it, but because they needed a reminder that they are not like everyone else in the world that doesn't know Christ. See, he wasn't telling the Roman church, look at how great you are. Look at all the things you're doing. He's reminding them, this is our focus. This is our purpose. And so when you start feeling getting distracted and pulled over here and over here, focus back on the keys of what the church is meant to be. We understand that we look at the culture with the mind of Christ. We live these things out by his grace and by his power for his glory. So what are the cultural norms that we need to reject what are some things? I want to give you some bullet points real quick because we are kind of running out of time. But look what it says here. Even I don't, I don't want to go past much 12, okay? Just saying. <laughs> Stomachs are growling. No. I'm just kidding. What are the cultural norms that we need to reject? I just want to give you some thoughts here. These are just things in the world, mindsets. Do what feels good. What's the biblical norm? Do what is commanded. See, again, the cultural norm, they don't have Christ. They don't understand these things. We, as followers of Christ, we have the biblical norm to lead us. So the world says, do what feels good. The Bible says, do what is commanded. The world says, promote self. The Bible says, promote Christ. The world says, lie to not hurt others. The Bible says, do not lie. The world says, blame others for your situations. The Bible says, take personal responsibility for your choices. The world says, my rights over all. The Bible says, my rights submitted to Jesus Christ. The world says that evolution is fact. The Bible makes it pretty clear in the beginning, God. And you might say, why is that a big deal? Well, if we can get rid of the first two chapters of the book of the Bible because they're not accurate, then what do we do with the rest of it? I don't know about you, and maybe you've struggled with this, but if you want to have a conversation about it, I'd love to talk to you about it. I know some people that would love to talk to you about it. Evolution is not fact. It is a theory. And there's two theories on creation, one being creation by God, one being evolution. Unfortunately, our schools have focused so heavily on one, they've perpetrated as fact. 
when in reality, I believe the evidence that we have around us, all around us, promotes creation over evolution. I believe you need much more faith to believe in evolution than you do to believe in creation. Our world says gender is how you feel. God says, the Bible says, God created man and woman, distinct and on purpose. Why do we rob God's creation of its beauty and its distinction? The world says it's okay as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. The Bible says sin is sin and requires a payment. When we, and these are just a few examples, when we as followers of Christ see the norms in our culture and we make a clear distinction between what is accepted and what God commands, we are then living obedient follower of lives or followers of Christ type lives. Obedience to Christ is only fitting when we understand the scope of his love and sacrifice for us. We must realize that these things we are talking about are not going above and beyond or being super Christians. We're merely speaking to what it means to be a normal follower of Christ, according to the word of God. Because you see, there's some cultural norms that have crept into the church that I believe that we need to identify and reject just as vehemently as we reject the world's cultural norms. See, some church cultural norms that we accept in the church in America today that doesn't necessarily go along with the biblical norm. And I'll give you a few of these. Church cultural norm, patriotism on par with God. Biblical norm, no other gods before me. Church cultural norm, I can pick and choose what scripture to believe. Biblical norm, all scripture is inspired by God. Cultural norm in the church, I can be a Christian and keep my life the exact same way, living for my comforts and my convenience. Biblical norm, pick up your cross and follow. Church cultural norm, casual church service and casual church involvement. Biblical norm, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Church cultural norm, I will give when it doesn't hurt. Biblical norm, give and it will be given to you. Our culture of convenience and comfort in our world today has influenced our lives as believers. We must, we must guard our hearts and minds from falling into and being conformed by the world. And it's not legalism. It's not, I do these things to gain merit with God. I do these things because as a follower of Christ, his word seems to say, that's how I should live. Man, why do we take Christians who are really on fire for God and we promote them as though they're super Christians? They're just normal Christians, according to this book. And something I've shared before countless times, and it's something I remind myself with, when you read the book of Acts and you read all these stories about all these great things that the church is doing, if my life was written in those chapters and somebody was reading it thousands of years later and they get to my life, would my life stand out as odd or would it fit in? I mean, they're reading about the Apostle Paul and Peter and the early church and all the things they were accomplishing. And then they get to John Chippewa's life and they go, man, this guy doesn't seem to fit in with the rest of these guys at all. His life seems weird in comparison. He seems overly concerned with his safety and his comfort and his convenience. And these other guys were just, they're just living for Jesus. 
See, legalism says, do all these things to make God happy. Christianity says, I live this way because God has saved me, redeemed me, and loves me. And the logical conclusion, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, is just to live for his will. To prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And it doesn't make sense if you don't know who Christ is. But when you know who Christ is, and you know what he's done for you, and you know his love for you, it's logical to surrender all and say, I'll live for your will. It just makes sense. So I want to challenge all of us this morning. First, do you know Christ? And I know this is kind of a, maybe a little bit of a tough message for some of you. I don't, I don't know. I, I pray about these messages every week, all week. And my prayer is that it will be his spirit that leads you and guides you. I don't say these things to try to beat anyone up or try to tear anyone. I just want us to live this as a church so that our world can be affected for the cause of Christ and people can stop living for fruitless desires, for food that spoils, and they'll live for the bread of life, experiencing the joy and the peace that is relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing for certainty that when you leave this world, you'll spend eternity in his heaven. Man, that's what I want for our church. And I see so much of our culture in the American church creeping in, and I hear it in Christian radio. I see it on Christian TV. I read it in articles. But let me encourage you with this. That's not all there is. And there are churches in our country that are so committed to the will of God They're living Christianity out in front of their communities, and God is saving thousands in some of these churches. God is leading people to them in droves. And it's not about the number versus whatever, but I'm just saying God is doing a great work in our world and in our country. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of what God is doing, and I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to stop anytime real soon in doing a great work in this world. So let's get excited. Let's get involved. And stop worrying about the cultural norm and fitting into this fleeting world. Man, why would I sacrifice the things that God has for me for something that's so temporary? So that I can blend in at work. I can blend in at school. I can blend in in my community. He's not a weird Christian. He's normal. He's cool. She's not one of those Jesus freaks. She's fine. If you're worried about what people think about you at your job, Man, you got the wrong focus. Man, I'm much more worried about what God thinks of me. And he says, you are my son and my daughter, and I love you, and I saved you, and I redeemed you. Now go produce fruit for his glory. So my challenge to you this morning is this, as a follower of Christ. Are you rejecting and replacing the cultural norms around you with biblical norms? Are you just endeavoring, not perfectly, but endeavoring. You just want to strive to live this out. Understanding the culture around you, engaging the culture where you can and how you can with great wisdom and discernment, with a desire to live for his will. Are you living for the will of the Father? I mean, is that your desire? No matter what you do for a living, doctor, factory worker, teacher, it's irrelevant to some degree. Wherever you find yourself, are you just living for his will? Or are you living for your will, your desire? Man, let him transform your desire and then watch him fulfill it. That's a beautiful thing when he gives us the abundant life. If you are living for his will, and that is your desire, 
How are you seeing that play out in your life? How is the Holy Spirit moving in you? Share that with others. We are so blessed to have the Holy Spirit of God given to us at the moment of salvation, which enables us to live counter culture. And so here's what I want to do. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. And I'm going to ask that you begin to just pray and seek him this morning. And here's my challenge to you real simply. First and foremost, do you know Christ? And again, I said it at the beginning, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, a lot of what I said today may not make sense. You may be sitting there and thinking like, man, why would I give all of my life up for this guy, this Jesus? I don't even understand why I would do that. Then let me encourage you. We as followers of Christ have made those decisions to surrender because we understand that he loved us when we were unlovable. That he died on a cross for our sins that we could be saved, redeemed, and made whole. And so as you're here this morning with your heads bowed, if you don't know Christ, I, I plead with you as the Apostle Paul would. And I say, would you just open your heart to him? Would you allow his Holy Spirit to speak to you? And I want to pray for you. So with every head bowed, nobody looking around, I want to just pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I just want to pray that God will speak into your life. So is there anyone here this morning that would raise their hand and say, Pastor John, I don't know Christ as my Lord and Savior. Would you just pray for me? Would you pray for me? Is there anyone at all that would raise their hand this morning and say, would you pray for me? I don't know Christ. As a follower of Christ, my challenge is simple this morning. All I'm going to ask you to do is to identify things in your life. You do an evaluation with the work of the Holy Spirit to identify where cultural norms that are not following God's will, God's standards, have crept into your life, have come into your way of living and thinking, you would identify those things and you would remove those things, replacing them with the mind of Christ, the things that he would have you to dwell on. So only you can answer that question. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to have a time of invitation. I want you to just respond. Don't worry about anyone else. Maybe you've been carrying guilt of a past sin that you know you've confessed. It's, you've repented of it. You're still carrying the guilt of that. You need to lay that down. You don't need to carry that any longer. So maybe you want to come and bow a knee and just pray up front here and say, God, I'm giving this to you. I'm tired of the guilt. I'm tired of the shame. Would you take this? Maybe there's someone in here this morning that is feeling like God is saying, you've really drifted into a very culturally normal kind of life. There's nothing distinguishable about your life as a follower of Christ. Maybe you would come and say, God, would you just, would you just, change that in me? Would you just show me where I need to replace cultural norm with your biblical norm, that I would strive to please you in all things? And maybe you want to just come and pray and say, God, I'm going to pray for our church. I'm going to come pray for our, the individuals in our church. I'm going to pray for my life that I would strive to live for your will. Not my will, but your will be done in this world as we engage the culture of, of the world around us for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever God is doing, would you respond? Heavenly Father, Thank you for this morning. I pray that you were glorified in everything that was said. And I pray that you'll help us to make the tough choices, to think through what are we really living for, and that we would live for your will, edifying the believers around us, doing the work of the ministry, sharing Christ with the world around us, and all of it with a great joy and a great love because we realize how much you love us. Father, help us to see and identify cultural norms that 
are hurtful and damaging to our Christian lives and to replace them with your word. Father, this isn't about legalism. This isn't about gaining anything with you. It's about living in a way that honors you because you've given everything for us. Help us to follow you this week, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we have a short time of invitation? Would you just respond to him? Maybe you want to come pray for the church, pray for yourself, pray for your family as you engage the culture around you. However God is leading, would you just come and respond to him this morning as we sing?